Welcome to the journey with Mpo Podcast, a sacred space for healing, love, and rediscovering your life purpose. Introducing your host, Mpo. Welcome to Journey with Mpo. Thank you for joining us for yet another magical episode. Since this is the 13th week, we thought it would be appropriate to start off by reflecting on our journey thus far. This show has facilitated a healthy healing journey for everyone involved. The life stories shared here have inspired us to redefine our life purposes and most importantly, provided us with the motivation to be the best versions of ourselves. For me, it has been both healing and purposeful, insightful and tearful. How does it feel for you? What do you hope to continue learning and experiencing from this show? How has this journey changed or improved your life? We would love to hear from you. Share your story with us on Instagram at journeywithmpo or get really personal by sending us an email on journeywithmpo at gmail.com. 13 weeks, episode number 13. I think it's safe to say that we have a solid JWM family. Some people already have their favorite episodes and have spent time getting to know the guests beyond the podcast. It has been incredibly exciting. We have not forgotten about our promise regarding a women's roundtable talk. We're still in the process of recruiting suitable guests and we will keep you guys updated. In today's episode, we celebrate our newly established audience base in Colorado. And what better way to do this than to bring back the dearly adored poet based in Colorado. You loved him, asked for more of his thoughts. Turns out we had more audio clips from our initial conversation with him. Oh man, I am really excited. (laughs) I had a phenomenal time getting to know him. His aura is calming, his thoughts are succinct and seamless, his mind is a tasteful blend of Christianity and Buddhism. Colorado, you already know who I'm talking about. Dear audience, welcome back to Conversations with Bodhi Part 2. I met a black boy who was scared of his own shadow. Hopping from left foot to right, his face expressed frustration that he couldn't get the timing of this dance quite right. I asked him why he mirrored a marionette jerking up and down through the air, why he walked like a flamingo runs, awkward and janky. He told me that he was afraid of his shadow because he had heard that for 400 years, black bodies had been kept down, nailed to the ground. Lower strung on a totem pole, the last thing standing as the land was all stolen. He was afraid that maybe he was a part of that process too. 
For his shadow had never left the floor, no matter how hard he fought for it, it stayed fixed. He couldn't understand why he couldn't save a little boy whose face was too dark for his features to be recognized. Why he couldn't reach out and help one who held his same shape. Same oversized lips, same kinky hair, same feeling of being walked all over every day of his damn life. He said that no one understood what he had learned. That turning up the lights doesn't fix some problems, it just blinds us to their existence. That he couldn't just overlook something that constantly lurked behind him, followed him into his bed when he slept, greeted him when he stepped onto the earth once again. He couldn't shake this feeling that he had never touched solid ground. That feeling that he had always been standing on the shoulders of giants who walked on the backs of slaves who survived on the bones of those no longer deemed worthy of being carried into the future. So he asked me how I made it. Twenty-five years in this world where people take such things for granted asked me if I ever felt like the emperor who had no clothes, far more vulnerable than I cared to realize, covered up by lies we all decided to tell one another, that our boots were red bottoms and not stained with blood, that our jeans were true religion and not sewn together by those who needed God most, that we could wear 18 karat medals that were dug out from the earth by a child who wasn't even given another 18 years to live, he asked me, why I didn't dance anymore, why I wasn't careful where I walked, why I had forgotten that sidewalk cracks break mama's back, that what seemed small to me had drastic consequences for another, and I couldn't help but wonder if this boy would keep dancing, spinning, shuffling, leaping through the air, or if one day he would land and sit and cry and begin that long walk that I knew all too well. And that was the day I began to realize that what every black boy needs most are his wings to fly and get a whippers. Who is the most influential person to you as a child? A crocodile hunter, Steve Irwin, because he, he preserved his childlike energy more than anyone else I've ever seen. He was able to sort of just manifest that and he mm -hmm. kept a, a passion, a true passion for what he was doing with him the entire time. So you would watch his show and he would, you know, he would see a crocodile and he'd just say, let's get close to it. Let's look at how beautiful she is. And he would Damn. get in the water and he would touch its nose and it would snap it and he'd jump back and he'd tell you how dangerous it was, <laughs> but how he, he knew what he was doing and he, yeah. he worked with a sort of love and a care towards the animals. You could tell that he, it wasn't exploitative. And yeah. he, all, all he wanted to do was sort of just work to conserve the planet and to make it a place where people could still connect with nature, you know, at a, at a deep level as as fellow earthlings you know because sometimes yeah. we separate ourselves we say oh i'm a human that's a monkey that's a snail but it's like we're all from earth as different as we look and i think he kind of understood that and was able to communicate that to like our generation okay so you obviously didn't become a reptile guy Are no you <laughs> involved in any conservation activities no not that i know of not so far. I mean, I like to give money to, you know, different charities every once in a while, mm -hmm. but I I don't think I've ever done anything directly with conservation. Um, 
Yeah. Would you like to remember the truth? Probably. I mean, it seems like a good idea. I think people get estranged from the world that they live in. You know, that was something that Karl Marx kind of touched on a little bit. I don't agree with everything he said, but he said in a, in a capitalist system, people become estranged from the products of their work. Because you go to work at the Ford factory every day, but you don't drive a Ford car. You just push this button and then things happen, but it's all very disconnected from you. You're, you get paid in money, which you just use to exchange for other things, right? Yeah. And so you're disconnected from all your actions and what they actually do in the world. Um... I think, I don't, I don't even know where I was going with that. What were we talking about? I like it though. <laughs> it sounds more to me like unconscious living. Yes. I think a lot of people live unconsciously. Yes. Not aware of. Exactly. That's why I think conservation could be important because people become estranged from nature. Yeah. We, like we all live in it, but we, yeah. we sort of distance ourselves from it kind of emotionally. We don't really think. There was a time when you had to actually worry about mm. where you were and what you were doing. People were a lot more connected with nature then because you had to tell your kids, look, if you go outside, mm-hmm. you will be eaten by a bear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was, so there was that negative side to it, but there was also a more holistic side to it. Like mm-hmm. people knew what kind of herbs you could yeah. use connected if you had a stomachache. Right, connected to the soil, connected yeah. to the rivers, connected to the storms, the patterns of nature. Yeah. Whereas now, you know, people check their weather app every 20 minutes to say, oh, well, I don't know if it's going to rain. I don't know if I can go out tonight. Whereas before, people kind of knew the seasons a little bit more. They knew the patterns, and they aligned their lifestyle with what was going on and not Mm -hmm. vice versa. Because right now, we try to change the world to match us Mm -hmm. instead of at least meeting it halfway. So people will say we're the most intelligent generation that's currently on this planet. We've created so much. Could be. Do you think so? Do I think we're the most intelligent generation? I have no idea because I feel like that's a hard, that's a very hard thing to measure. I feel like we've regressed in right. so many ways. I just, right. people in the past could do that. Mm-hmm. They could feed themselves off the soil. Mm-hmm. Right now, if the system goes kaboom, right. no one knows how to make their own veggies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. See, that was the interesting thing about Cuba, mm-hmm. right? Because Cuba was allied with the USSR, was allied with Russia. Mm-hmm. But when the Communist Party crashed and Russia wasn't a superpower anymore, mm-hmm. they didn't have any major allies. Mm-hmm. And they had beef with the United States. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what Castro did, you know, he did a lot of stuff wrong. But what he did is he went to the people and he said, we're going to have to learn how to make it on our own. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you need to learn how to put soil down on the top of your roof and start a garden. Because we're not shipping in any produce. You need to know how to get around on foot. Because if your car runs out of gas, there's no more gas. So you're going to leave the car. You're going to walk to wherever you need to go. And that has a certain beauty to it, as difficult as it can be. Because you can look at some people in our generation now, you know, who get DoorDash deliveries. They they don't even cook their food. They don't even buy their food. They Uber everywhere. It's like, all right, if the internet went out, you'd be hopeless. That's the thing I always say about Instagram models, right? Is if if your Wi-Fi goes out, you're not a model anymore. (laughs) Because you don't actually know anybody. (laughs) You just take pictures or you post them on the internet. But it's it's all very strange. We live in very weird times. I think our generation is good at uh, empathy. Like each generation kind of has its talents and Mm -hmm. its faults. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if we're the smartest generation because you look at something like the pyramids. Okay. Some of the lines in some of these ancient structures are more precise than we can get with laser technology now. Okay. Like we don't know how they built these things. I think the pyramids we might have figured out a little bit, but like yeah. Stonehenge or Gobeki Tempe, like a lot of these things we don't understand. Yeah. yeah. So they might have been a little bit smarter because they were working with a lot less and yeah. they were able to do some amazing things. Yeah. But we're we're a very empathetic generation. As yeah. many problems as we have, we tend to empathize with other people's pain more. Because okay. you got to remember, there was an era where people would just conquer other people, mm-hmm. would own other people, would mm-hmm. slaughter other people. Mm-hmm. They, we go to the Colosseum now, and we, oh, look at the culture, look at those arches, they're so beautiful. Mm-hmm. You got to remember that they used to throw people in there and then just release wild animals and say, oh, what happens, happens. That's just how you spend a Saturday evening. People would take their kids, you know? People would go there as like uh-huh. a first date to watch a human being be ripped apart by oh, wild no. animals. And it was just cool. If you tried to do anything remotely like that now, you would have the full force of the UN and 27 different allied countries bearing down on you. So I think we've gotten a a little bit more sort of patient and empathetic. So who do you admire the most in your life? I think I admire my father the most because Mm -hmm. he he has his flaws, as Mm -hmm. everyone does, but he's always been honest about trying to improve on them. Mm -hmm. Like even when we were young, he would have a temper or he would get mad. He would get frustrated at certain stuff not being done or not being done correctly. But mm-hmm. if he was wrong about something, he always would come and apologize mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. He's probably the only man that I can think back to who actually would apologize to me as a child. Because, you okay. know, people treat children differently. Yes. Like, how many times do you see an adult approach a child and say, hey, you know, what I told you before was wrong. I didn't understand what you were going for. I apologize to you. Mm-hmm. Usually people just say, ah, oh, well, you screwed it up or you didn't know what I meant or you, you need to just mm-hmm. listen to me. So he was willing to sort of be the bigger man, so to speak, and humble mm-hmm. himself a little bit. And he's, he's on a path, I think, to trying to figure his, his, his own self out. Yeah, yeah. You know, trying to reach inside of himself and, and explore a little bit. So... That's why I respect him a lot. That's phenomenal. Do you think that you would want to emulate him as a parent in the future? Is Do I want to emulate him? Yeah. Hell no. I mean, <laughs> why? I don't. I'm all for tradition, but that life has already been lived, sure. and I'm from a different generation than he is. Like we okay. have different values as much as i respect a lot of things about my father and there's a lot of things i appreciate he's been working since he was eight i grew up middle class you know what i mean so we're we're from very different kind of lifestyles we have different values about the world like i don't believe in spanking children oh no 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 he does you gotta spank your kids though but you don't (laughs) you don't because here's the thing think about it this way what is there that a child could do that would make you so exasperated so at a loss for what you could do to remedy the situation that you would say the only solution is to hit them until they don't do it anymore. I don't think it's exasperation. It's more like you're trying to associate the bad behavior with a repercussion. Sure. Is that the only repercussion though? Physical violence? Because that's what you're teaching a kid. You're teaching them when somebody does something wrong, you hurt them. And that's how you teach them. I feel like that's a very poor message to send Mm. children. That when you do something that I don't agree with or that's wrong, I'm going to hurt you until you're too terrified to do it anymore. Mm. That's not a good message. And people spank their children because they're being uncreative. You could figure out a way to discipline your child and to give them repercussions if you tried. 
And I know it because I can ask you this. If I offered you $1 billion, no strings attached, tax-free, okay. all you had to do was raise your kid and teach them repercussions without hitting them, could you do it? Maybe for like $10 billion. $10 billion then. <laughs> $100 billion. Most people would say for $100 billion, yeah, I, I could figure it I out. Could figure I could it figure out. it out. I, I think I could read a book or two. <laughs> so the problem is motivation. Okay. The problem isn't that it's not possible because you just said, oh, for $100 billion, oh, bet, I could definitely do that. <laughs> okay, so you can do it. You just don't think your child and not hitting your child is worth $100 billion. Mm, okay. Because if $100 billion was on the line, trust me, no one would be hitting their kids anymore. It's outdated. You don't need to do it. Okay. It's unnecessary. But we have different values. That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Me and the previous generation. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes as black folk, we... We try and keep the community kind of tight-knit. Mm-hmm. And so we perpetuate a lot of stuff from the previous generations that wasn't necessarily the healthiest stuff. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to emulate my mm-hmm. father, but I do want to learn from him and apply the lessons that I've learned. Mm-hmm. I could say that much. I like that. Talking about money and $100 billion, what's your definition of happiness? My definition of happiness? Mm-hmm. I don't even know if I have a definition. I think you know it when you feel it. You know, when you feel it, it's just like, uh, it's like that judge said about pornography, right? He said, you can't define it, but you know, when you see it, <laughs> it's the same thing with happiness. You could, you couldn't put a definition on it. I guess yeah. you could, you could be very specific. You could talk about brain states or maybe certain hormones, mm-hmm. but it's an experience, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. something you have firsthand and that, that kind of makes it hard to describe. It's like describing red. Mm-hmm. I can show you red. Mm-hmm. I can't describe it to you. But overall, I think happiness is overrated, to be honest. So I don't spend that time, that much time thinking about it. Mm. Why do you think it's overrated? Because people put it as their life goal. Oh. And it's a shitty life goal. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a good life goal at all because it's not sustainable. Okay. At all. We know that. There's something in psychology they call the hedonic treadmill. And what that means is once you get happy... From something, you either got something new, you are somewhere new, you're with someone new, Mm -hmm. you adapt to that Mm -hmm. instantly. Mm -hmm. And then you're not happy anymore, right? It's like you get a new phone, Mm -hmm. and the first couple days you're like, oh, this is the best thing ever. It's the iPhone 10, it's got all these new features. About three weeks later, you're throwing that thing on your bed, it's all chipped up, you're like, oh, it took two seconds to open this app, it's a piece of crap, I don't even want it anymore, right? You adapt to that. And so chasing happiness is essentially just, it's yoking yourself to sorrow. It's it's promising that you're going to be disappointed, because you cannot maintain happiness. Mm. I like purpose. I like Mm -hmm. meaning. Those are things with grit. Those are things that get people through life. Because if you're just happy, you don't have any character. You know, okay, okay. You, you, you grew up too soft because <laughs> as soon as something bad happens and something bad is going to happen and you're not happy anymore. Well, now you don't know what life is because it's like, well, I was happy and now I have nothing. Uh, but if you have character, if you have a purpose, if you have mm-hmm. a mission, if you have meaning in your life, then you can make it through those things. That's why you look at pictures of like old generations and like the paintings. Nobody's ever smiling. Mm-hmm. They all look very like grim and very dour. I'm not sure they were the happiest people, but they did some things in the world. Yeah, yeah. Like they did something. Even if you look at different religious figures, like Jesus, is that a happy life? I don't know. His, I, his family thought he was crazy. He was killed by the government. He was betrayed by all of his friends. I don't know if that's happy, yeah. but it was meaningful. The Buddha, how does his life start? His father gives him a palace. 
with a giant wall around it, disconnected from the outside world. Mm. No one ugly can come in. No one sick can come in. No one old can come in. Mm-hmm. He's got all the women he could possibly want, all the riches, all the food. Mm-hmm. So he's happy. Mm-hmm. But he says, I got to get out of here. There's got to be more to life than this. Mm-hmm. And he goes on his path to enlightenment when he gets outside of those castle walls and he sees sick people. He sees mm-hmm. old people. He sees dead people. And he's like, wow. Yeah. The purpose of my life should be figuring out how to deal with those things, mm-hmm. not being happy. But the secret is, if you find a meaningful life, mm-hmm. you'll be happy along the way. So you get it as a bonus. Okay. But it's something that if you aim at, you'll miss every time. Ah, I like that. Let's dive a little bit into your poetic self. Okay. Do you remember when you wrote your first poem? Um... Yeah, I think I first started like really writing poetry when I was living in Italy. Mm-hmm. And that was just because it was a very, it was kind of an isolated time in my life. There weren't really that many people like my age around. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. mostly like older soldiers or kids or whatever. There wasn't that many people my age and I was mostly working. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have that many people to connect to. Everyone else back in America was on a different time zone, a different time schedule. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we might shoot a message or two to each other during the same day but when I'm getting up they're going to bed and vice versa right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I guess poetry was my kind of way of striking up a conversation with myself or trying to remedy myself or trying to explore myself or trying to make sense of everything I was feeling so Mm -hmm. I wrote a lot during like the downtime at work I would just have my phone or a little notepad and I would just Mm -hmm. start and it wasn't good I mean nobody writes good poetry at first but it was it was meaningful Mm-hmm. You know, it did It did mean something to me, and it was helpful mm-hmm. for the isolation that I felt. So, yeah, it's a pretty vivid memory. Hmm. Interesting. What would you say influences and shapes your writing style? Influences and shapes my writing style? I would say the things just going on in my everyday life, because I don't set out to write about anything in particular or to mm-hmm. write in a specific way. Mm-hmm. I just write about what comes to mind or what's in my heart. And what's in your heart is what you have around you or what you're going through. Mm-hmm. So if, I'm, if I really want to write, I try and set up the conditions that make it useful for me to write. Mm. So I listen to a lot of good poetry and I listen to a lot of good music and I don't go on social media much, Mm -hmm. you know, and I drink a lot of water and I eat really, really clean. And then within a couple of days, inspiration will find me, Mm -hmm. but I don't sort of drag it to the, to the table and say, we need to write a poem. I set up the conditions that it knocks on the door and then I can let it in and we could maybe work something out. Beautiful. Do you find it difficult to write when you're given a topic and they say, this is what you must write about? I find it difficult because I'm not used to it. Mm. It's not impossible, but my first thought is that it feels inauthentic to me. Mm. And I have to wait until an authentically interesting thought occurs. Mm. Because I don't like uh, motivated poetry. You know, where Mm -hmm. people are kind of like, oh, I'm going to write about this thing. I'm going to write about this topic. Because then it's like the poem becomes a slave for your interest. Okay. And not a work of art in and of itself. That's why nobody likes reading Ayn Rand, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have to read her in school. You have to read The Fountainhead. You have to read Atlas Shrugged. And you could tell the book is just a vehicle for her to get her thoughts in your head. Okay. But it's not about the story. Right, And that's why people like reading Shakespeare or like reading the Iliad or like reading Dostoevsky because it's like the literature is the primary focus. Now, there's a message that naturally comes along with that because the artist is pouring themselves into the art. 
But when you take the art and you say, well, this is going to be my tool for whatever my agenda is, for whatever this topic I want to write about mm-hmm. is, at least for me, it feels like it hurts the art. Yeah, I like that. Do you know how many poems you've written? <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know who would keep track of such a thing because I've been trying, most, of, most of them are terrible. So why would you keep track of all these like... It's like keeping track of all your weird bastard children if you're the king, right? <laughs> you just let them go live in the village and you have your couple of kids who are going to be on the throne and you pay attention to them. <laughs> I, the funny thing is I have poetry on paper. I have poetry digitally. Right. You know? So it's, I'm, I'm currently trying to go through a process where I'm consolidating everything right. and putting it into one place. Right. But then a poem is never done. Exactly. So I've got like variations of one poem in five different ways yeah you know? so, so does that like, count as one or <laughs> I think it's all one poem I mean I'll change a couple of words here I'll change a few things but right. the core of it stays the same right know? and I also when I'm writing sometimes I write in chunks so I might have a good 15 minutes where I get a couple lines down but that's not a, a finished poem mm-hmm. and so sometimes those chunks will blend well with each other and so they'll all turn into one poem mm-hmm. so keeping track of the number is kind of difficult because maybe i had four last week but it's two this week <laughs> okay that's phenomenal oh man you're a lot of energy we appreciate your <laughs> mind and your being you you just pour out so much and you have so much knowledge well thank you i I appreciate being able to be here this is like you have a very good energy as far (laughs) as hosting goes like you have a a great way of like allowing people to relax so you can sort of start pulling things out (laughs) all the stuff they're trying to hide give me all all the stuff they're trying to hide you just like lure them into a false sense of security (laughs) and you're like oh now tell me your deepest secret who hurt you what happened Where do we find you? Where do we find more of all this goodness? You find me around. I really don't post most of my stuff. Like, it's not really on Instagram. Some of it's on YouTube. It's just places. But that's because, you know, real life experiences are something few and far between. It's Mm kind of like, you know, Kendrick Lamar for a while. He was doing these weird kind of like pop-up performances. He would be like on Colbert. Mm -hmm. And he would do like an untitled song that he's never done anywhere before. Mm -hmm. You can't buy it anywhere. You just had to be there to engage in it. Yeah. And I kind of like that element. So nothing's anywhere right now, but, you know, maybe someday you'll Google the word Bodhi and it'll pop up somewhere. No promises, but keep keep an ear out. <laughs> well, the podcast, we'll, we'll put your name in there. Yeah. And then when people Google the podcast, your name will come It'll up. be in the notes. <laughs> <laughs> Any final words? What do you want for the world? What do you want people to focus on and engage in? I mean you had the opportunity to use this mic to make a difference, what would you do? I, I don't know if I could phrase it better than the same prayer I say every morning and every night. Mm. May the blind see the forms and may the deaf hear sounds. May the naked find clothing and may the hungry find food. May the thirsty find water and other delicious drinks. May the poor find riches and those who with sorrow find joy. May the forlorn find new hope, constant happiness and prosperity. May the frightened cease to be afraid and those who are blinded be freed. May the powerless find power and may the people think of benefiting one another. Thank you so much, Bodhi. Anytime. Before we conclude this episode, I just wanted to share my thoughts on something. This year has been challenging for 
everyone, including myself. I would like to take the time to turn our focus and set us on an intentional path to positively increasing our vibration in this realm. This year is a foundational year. In numerology, it is the year number three, a great opportunity to go within and search. The energy on the planet is guiding and encouraging us to focus on the source within us, to reevaluate negative traits and amplify positive traits. For most, the process has been a dark space, but for many, it has been an opportunity to reinvent and rebuild your character in better and healthier ways. I will be diving more into this on the next episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until then, Maholokwe Kyotaba Rabuile Alaha.